depending on the size of the organization, the number one rep typically has a natural talent that they don't even quite understand. And they don't use as much process in order to achieve that. So what I suggest people do is they go ask and they say, I wanna know, you know, can I see the sales rankings? And if there's 100 reps, I would pick reps 75 to 85, 70 to 80. And then I would ask the manager, which one of these people that is doing really well, you know, they're top quartile, they're not the best, but they're top quartile, which one of these ones started slow, but developed in a really amazing process? And they'll know, they'll say, oh, it's so-and-so, it's the introvert over in the corner. Go learn what they do. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Mark A. Smith. Mark is the Chief Revenue Officer at Webware.io, and he writes what I think are some of the most wise and humorous posts on LinkedIn these days. And actually, it was one of his posts on LinkedIn about the <laughs> trend toward heartfelt and sugary messages that more and more people are writing about their transitions to new jobs. And that caught my attention. And so I invited him to come on the show. And in our conversation, we're going to get into a wide range of topics, including the virtue of patience in sales, what you are learning, if anything, from your colleagues on your sales team, why to be careful about who you choose as your sales role models and your sales mentors, how to develop trust with buyers. And then we also dig into the nature of sales and stress. Because Mark observed, and this is a quote from Mark, giving your whole company a week off due to burnout is awesome. Not burning out your employees in the first place is awesomer, unquote. So all of that and much, much more in this fun conversation. But before we get to Mark, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you very much. All right, let's jump into it. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Andy. Well, yeah, pleasure. I'm really looking forward to this. Um, yeah, we connected on LinkedIn. I've, I saw some, you write some very wise and funny posts. And I thought, uh, hey, <laughs> you'd be fun to talk with. So, and it'd be fun for people to, to hear from you. So, well, hopefully, uh, people know, hopefully, people can tell the difference between the wise and the funny. So, <laughs> sometimes I, sometimes I worry they can't. But um, no, likewise, I, I actually follow you and, um, there's, there's a handful of people that I, I get a lot of good, uh, a lot of good content information from, and, and you're definitely one of them. So oh, well, thank you. really appreciate thank being on the show. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it. So, uh, let's start off. Just tell folks what, what you do besides being wise and funny on LinkedIn. <laughs> so I'm the chief revenue officer at webware.io. We are a premier digital marketing, uh, company, uh, for small business. Um, yet at, a, at an affordable price, um, mm -hmm. which we, we like to, we like to mention that quite a bit because, uh, <laughs> you know, we, well, I mean, it's, you know, small business is tough and, and yeah. small business, they can get, uh, they can get paralyzed and kind of numbed by how much money they've outlaid, uh, for not getting results. And so we've, we've done a really nice job making sure that they get the premier services, but it's, it's at a price that, you know, really any established or even starting out small business can, can easily afford. So it's been, it's a really, really fun, uh, industry to be in. It's a really fun customer segment and, uh, couldn't be happier. So are, do you focus you know, nationwide or are you focused, you know, primarily in Salt Lake, you know, Silicon Slope type area or? So we're, we're North America. So we, okay. we sell in, uh, us and Canada. 
uh, probably about 30% Canada, 70% U.S., but that balance is going more and more towards the U.S. Got it. Okay. Very cool. So what sort of got you started posting on LinkedIn? Wow. So it was a total fluke. Um, I think it was, I don't know, four years ago or so. And I was purchasing a piece of software. And I had done all of my due diligence. It was in a world that I had been working in for 10, 12 years. So shopping around wasn't exactly difficult. I knew my requirements. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I knew what things cost. I uh, wanted to get some updates on any product features from three or four of the ones that I was considering. And, uh, you know, did everything through a lot of email with an SDR and then said, hey, we're uh, 99% of the way there. Just let me just see the boilerplate uh, contract. And as long as there's nothing weird, we're, we're good to go. And she, she asked me to get on a phone call, which was fine. And then got on the phone call and introduced me to her VP who proceeded to want to get to know me and, um, and waste about an hour of my life <laughs> forcing, forcing me to become friends with him when literally all I needed was a contract, like right. a DocuSign. And, and fortunately, uh, you know, their product was good enough and she, she was such a good SDR and re- really had respected the way that I wanted to purchase that, you know, didn't kill the deal. But I remember sitting at my desk and, I don't know why I had LinkedIn open, but I noticed you could do a, a post, like a Facebook post. And so I just wrote. I, I, I think it started out with something like, um, I'll never understand why salespeople uh, you know, can never learn when to just shut up and take the order. Right. And, and then I hit post and that was it. And a day later, a colleague called and said, you know, you're blowing up on LinkedIn. And I didn't really know what that meant. So I logged back in and there was a couple million views and hundreds of comments. And uh, a lot of it was, you know, positive, but there was a lot of just like, you know, who the hell is this guy that drops this bomb and then won't even interact with us. And I, I, my first <laughs> reply was, hey, guys, it's me. I, I didn't know this was a thing. Um, wasn't trying to ignore anyone. But sure, I'll, I'll be happy to interact with you. And so anyways, it, my f- first time I ever posted hit, I don't know, five or six million views. And um, I thought, this is cool. It's a good way to interact with people. And it just kind of turned into catharsis. And, um, you know, when I think of something I think might have might be of some value, I post. And uh, if there's a good conversation going, then I, you know, I'll keep it going. And um, and then obviously, you know, if you network properly, you end up meeting a lot of great people that you can go to for advice and mm-hmm. purchase their products. And it's been great. It's just, but it was a total fluke. And what about people purchasing your product? You know, I've never sold anything on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never been something that I intended to do. If there's been any benefit there, there's definitely been organic traffic that comes right. to my, my companies. But if there's anything that we really benefit from is, um, I can recruit top talent within days right? because, um, you know, I don't really love the term, you know, personal brand, but I guess that's what other people call it. But, you know, when I'm, when I'm looking for somebody in a certain role, it's actually pretty easy for me to find them. And then in other roles, you know, I, I was at a, a company a few years ago where, uh, nearly 40% of all employees, derived from, from people who followed me mm-hmm. and hadn't considered the company before. Right. And, um, and turned out that they, uh, 
you know, they, they liked what I was saying and that gave them the thought that the company might embody those values as well. And so that's been the biggest benefit, I think, business-wise is just, um, other than me learning from other people, which has right. been terrific, it, you know, there's, it's really easy to recruit. And, um, and then I think the other benefit is what I, what I write holds, it holds me accountable. I mean, I, we all make mistakes. We all mm-hmm. fail to do what mm-hmm. we promise we want to do. But, you know, when I, when I hit send or hit upload or whatever it is, uh, I try to make sure that when I write something, it's something that I, I absolutely do believe in. I am some form of expert on it and I do try to embody it. And, um, and it, it just, you know, it's like a personal accountability to make sure that I, that I keep doing what I encourage others to do. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because one of the posts that, that you've written not that long ago was about, you know, Hey, don't, don't we need a rating system for the advice that's, that's put out on LinkedIn? Yeah. So tell us how you got down that path. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't think I know everything, but it's never been that hard for me to see complete garbage right when it's in front of my face. And I, I'm not a big fan of platitudes and, um, and cries for engagement because they, they prey upon people. They prey upon people that are in difficult spots, uh, whether it's somebody uh, talking about, you know, the right way to get a job and, and all they're really do, trying to do is prey upon desperate people for engagement and, mm-hmm. or whether it's, um, you know, telling people they've never met before to quit their jobs and follow their dreams. Um, or, or if it's people who tell you to quit your jobs and, and become a coach, but a coach of, a coach of coaches, right. You know, it's just, so I, I just really struggle with a lot of it because I can see that people take me seriously. I mean, I get a lot of, a lot of messages. You do? Yeah. And they surprise me, you know, wow. Why, why is this person asking me this? Why me? And the answer is, well, people learn to trust others. And I started to get really concerned that others, um, you know, if they were getting the same messages asking for advice, if they're in no position to give that advice, I I frankly think they need to be, they need to be called out and, and at least not silenced, but there needs to be some way of, of acknowledging that this person is writing these things for, engagement and not because they're actually an expert in the field. Um, I know several life coaches that can barely pay their bills and they're miserable Mm -hmm. and I would never want them to tell somebody to quit their job just so they can maybe get a $500 a month client. Yeah. I see, I see, um, it can be really tactical. You know, the, the cold calling is dead. Like, okay. I mean, it's like saying the internal combustion engine is dead. We all, we all know that electric cars are really cool, but you know, there are millions of internal combustion motors and there right. still will be. And it's just, it's just not helpful. And so I try not to be a troll. I try not to certainly, you know, be unhelpful. But um, when I see somebody who's getting a lot of attention, who is throwing out a context-free platitude to people who are, are a little bit vulnerable and don't know how to sift through what is a blanket statement versus nuance. I, I do think it's important for some of us to, to interject and, and try to bring some, at least some context to the conversation. 
And so, do you find yourself doing that? That that uh, I mean, I I <laughs> I have to admit, I feel the temptation frequently to sort of jump in and question people on some of the things they say. But on the other hand, I sort of feel like you know, it's a marketplace of ideas, and you know, people need to make their own decisions on that. I agree, but you know, I just don't have as much self control as you do. I mean, <laughs> listen, when I when I'm very when I'm super productive and focused in all parts of my life, I obviously don't have time to, you know, to get on and combat somebody who says something absolutely ludicrous that is going to um, hurt a lot of people. But, you know, if I'm Sunday afternoon and I'm bored and I see something like that, there's a good chance that I'm going to pop in. I, <laughs> I usually try to do so with a just kind of a dry comment that right. might might let certain people you know, flag it as, Hey, I, I might need to pay more attention to what this person is saying. And other times I've been, I've been, uh, very direct. Um, the, the one case that sticks out was, a was somebody who would tag me in, in virtually every one of his, his posts in an attempt to get, um, you know, engagement, engagement and, right. Right. and, and I never, I just, I try not to, I try not to, to respond but then one time he posted, um, he posted a quick anecdote. He's, it was something along the lines of, you know, young people just can't pay their dues anymore. I just interviewed a, a sales management candidate. Uh, I offered him $40,000 a year. He wanted 80. Uh, I told him that he was going to have to prove himself and then I would give him a raise later. And then, uh, you know, he, he ended the conversation why don't these young people, you know, aren't they willing mm-hmm. to work hard? And he, and he just said, Mark Smith, what do you think? And I wrote, I, I think my response was something along the lines of, I admire that candidate for not using the F word before he hung up on you. And, um, you know, and I said, listen, let me, let me just be, let me try to be helpful here. Um, you, you expected somebody to take a position at 40,000, which, which isn't a market rate for anything close to that. Right. You decided that they're, they're the best for the job, but then offered them half and said that they have to prove themselves. But, you know, did you give them any reason to trust you? Did, they, did you give them any reason to think that the company's growth was going to be so exciting that they should do that? I just asked a series of questions. Sure. And the next day there was like 2000 comments roasting the guy and, I actually messaged him and said, Hey, I don't, you know, there's no shame in deleting the post, but he replied and said, no, I think I need to learn this lesson. I'm going to leave it up. And, um, it was cool, but that was a pretty extreme example, but you know, we'll see that where, um, it just, you know, if if you're going to tag me, (laughs) then you have to be, at least be ready for me to give an honest honest answer. Right. Yeah. And there's others I don't, I don't bite on cause it just wouldn't be helpful. Yeah. Um, but, well, but some that, of them I do think are, you know, I don't want young people to think that they have to, uh, take jobs for half of what they're worth to prove to a startup something that they shouldn't have to prove. Exactly. It's just harmful. Yeah. And I, and getting back to sort of, you know, the advice part of, of what we say on LinkedIn too is, is, yeah, I, I sort of put people into different categories. I mean, I I see yeah people starting out that are sort of trying to find their voices and trying to yeah. sort of understand. And yeah, I'm okay with that. But then there's a whole category in my mind that 
I label it as, you know, this advice won't work except by accident. Um, yeah, a good example would be if somebody has an opinion, you know, if somebody pops in and says, um, you know, LinkedIn direct messaging is the only way to make sales. I, I'm, not, I'm probably not going to comment at all. It's, it's not really a conversation that is worth getting into. And, and by the way, if that's working for them, then that's fine. Um, th- there's nothing wrong with those opinions. Mm-hmm. Even if I don't agree, there's nothing wrong with an opinion that says, you know, Dave Ramsey, the uh, financial guru to right. the America. I don't, I don't agree with most of the things he says, but I do understand that they work well for many people. And so I don't have any interest in, in, you know, getting any, any sort of argument. If I, if I was asked my opinion, I might say that I, I disagree with a few things and agree with some others, but like you, there's a difference between that where somebody has an opinion that it's, it's their right to have. And, and somebody who has no experience, no credibility, um, tr- trying to give advice that is not theirs to give. And I, I try to, I, I really try to, Try not to be a hypocrite. I mean, when somebody asks me for advice and I, I don't have the expertise, I just tell them. You know, when somebody calls and says, can we hire you to help us uh, create an enterprise email cadence? I say, mm-hmm. sure, but you'd waste your money. I'm, I'm just not the right guy for that. I'm going to have you call someone else. Um, so I, just, I guess I just wish people would stay in their lane a little bit on, on certain things. Or at the very least, when someone like you or I might challenge them, um, instead of getting incredibly defensive, just say, that's really interesting. You know, what do you mm-hmm. and just and start a conversation? And by the way, it's a smarter thing to do anyway. Right. Um, getting defensive doesn't help. What, what you're much better doing is saying, oh, geez, Andy has, you know, a couple hundred thousand people who, if I get this guy to converse with me, my, my post will go viral. So you might as well not only learn from you, but you you can also pretty easily go viral if you get somebody with tons of followers to get in a 15, 20 comment thread. Mm-hmm. And, and I've learned lots of things. I mean, geez, I have made so much money off of things that I have learned on LinkedIn that I've applied in my career. Right. Um, yeah. and, uh, and it's come from getting in discussions with really smart people. Absolutely. I mean, it's one of the values of doing it, much like having a podcast where I, <laughs> I tell people this is podcast has been the most selfish thing I've ever done because, you know, I've had at this point virtually a thousand conversations with really smart people that I've learned incredible amounts from. Yeah. So, well, I wanted to jump onto a couple other posts I, I really liked because um, they, yeah spoke to me about certain topics that I'm passionate about as well. One is what I call sort of the, you spoke about the virtue of patience, which is uh, you wrote, why do fast-growing SaaS companies have such a large percentage of reps miss quota? And you said a number of reasons I'll focus. One, it's just they aggressively poach AEs who have not been at the competitor long enough to determine if they actually have talent. Yeah. And huh, this is such an age-old problem, but it's it seems to be becoming more acute. Is it people jumping from job to job before they ever learn anything? Well, I, th- I think it's, I mean, there's a couple of reasons. One of them, I think they're just smart. I mean, if you, if you, uh, smart you got stupid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, you, you've, yeah. At some point it's going to catch up with you, right. but you know, right. if you've got student loans and you got offered a job at, at Adobe 
and you're not doing all that well, but seven or eight months in, somebody from a, a well-funded startup comes after you just because you simply work at Adobe and you have a chance to restart without people knowing that your pipeline never actually closed, it's probably not not a bad idea to do it. I the the issue I think is I think it's on both sides. I actually I blame the recruiters and the hiring managers more because we frankly should just be better at, at not doing that. Uh, we should be looking at resumes and understanding that unless there's really specific metrics that somebody can speak to, six or eight months is probably not a, a long enough time. Um, as candidates, I, the only thing I really discourage is hopping around for a five or $10,000 increased compensation. I've seen a lot of careers torpedoed mm. because they're at, they're in a great spot and they are learning. They're not doing as well as they wanted to, but it's, it's not because the company's letting them down. It's because they have not yet matured in the role, but somebody goes from offering, you know, 90 to a hundred and they jump ship that 10 grand after taxes is non-existent, but you really restart your momentum. Exactly. And uh, it's not even momentum just in your skills. It's momentum in developing relationships and mentors uh, within an organization that you can count on for the next 20 years. I mean, I, I, I hope people realize this, but most of us, when we go to staff our teams, we gravitate first to people that we knew in, the, in our past. Easier to recruit. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, it's you know proven commodities. Or at the very least, we ask them for referrals for their people. But you don't really want to be in a situation where you're totally forgettable um, where you're at. And if you're struggling with your numbers, that's okay. Be patient. Mm -hmm. at, least, at least build those relationships. Become really valuable in one way. So that even if you do leave the company, even if something doesn't work out, you have half a dozen people who think of you in a, in a very positive light and are, are going to be happy to refer you to others. Um, or, you know, give you advice when you need it. It just, it takes time to nurture relationships in a career. It's great advice. I mean, I, I, I advocate for patience, right? I mean, it's it's hard to the point you made is, you know, people are dangling money in front of you. You may have student loans. You have, you know, starting a family, you want to buy a house. Um, but there comes a point where you have to exercise some patience in your career, and you have to show that you can actually accomplish something, right? That you can see it through. That's, you know, I, I started always talk about two full business cycles you need to give a company, whether it's two sales years or whatever, mm -hmm. to show that not just to build the relationships you talked about, but also to show to yourself that, yeah, I've actually learned something. This is something that I can, can uh, this is something I can do, and I can show that I've accomplished something. No, it's it's so important. What, what, if any of my friends listen to your show, they'll they'll laugh when I say this. But I have this same conversation with countless people who might call me before they take on a new challenging role, or before they come work for me, and they get that little bit of nerve, you know, before mm -hmm. they mm -hmm. start. And I right. just look at them and I say, you know, we go through kind of a framework where we eliminate the external concerns. And then I, and I say, this really just comes down to a, in a bit of an anxiety, a nervousness about a new important project. They say, yes. And I say, all right, is it fair to say that since we've isolated all of the other variables that we, we believe this is the right opportunity, 
Is it fair to say that the the only thing that's going to go wrong is that you magically forget how to do <laughs> the thing that you've been doing exceptionally well for the last 10 years? And they kind of just smile at me and I say, listen, like, <laughs> you've done this before. You know this. There's, there is no risk here. The risk is actually that you made a bad decision about a company or an opportunity. Right. The risk is not on you. Exactly. You've proven that. I mean, I, before I became a father, I, I thought I'd be a good one. And, um, but the reason I'm, I, I'm so anxious to, to be a father the second time is because, frankly, I think I'm a really good one. And I, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm very confident that I can raise a second child well. Um, I didn't have that same confidence before I had that experience. Right. Um, so it's just, it's all, all parts of life. You have to ingrain some sort of self-confidence. And then if you really want to multiply that, you have to have people talking about you in a positive light when you're not around. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a, there's a guy named Noah Goldman. I, I don't think he posts anymore on LinkedIn, but he was one of my favorite follows. And one thing he said a couple of years ago is if you want ultimate uh, career stability, it's you have to be known as the guy. And the way he explained it is, or maybe I, I've just turned it into this, but I give him credit for the, the kernel is, I say, imagine that an executive team is sitting around a table and there's a key hire. And let's say that that key hire is, we need somebody who understands how to scale an SDR function to be repeatable um, and predictable. What you want is somebody around that table to say, oh my gosh, I don't know if we can get her. But I know the but I know the person who right. like, I know who she is. That is where jobs fall from the sky, mm-hmm. and you don't develop that. You know, I even posted with this about interns. You know, interns, you're very excited to do your internship, and yep. It, my personal opinion, by the way, this is one that I think is totally fair to debate with me on. I could be totally wrong. I never did an internship. Well, but but, it's, but your post was equally as applicable to new employees. Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just yeah. nail, like use your time to become known as an expert in, in one thing. It doesn't even have to be the most important thing. But, you know, if you're given um, some general objectives, but you have, you have a specific thing that you're really held accountable to, prioritize that, um, create that value, claim that value, take credit for it. Learn about the other people involved in that, and you'll be known as the person who is really exceptional at that at that thing. And I, and hopefully others, obviously. Sure. But but the reason why my career has pretty amazing stability is when and I know I know this because I mean the proof is in in the offers I get. But when people sit around tables or when they're asking for referrals, frequently when someone says I need somebody who can take my uh, small to, to middle-sized, you know, well-run sales organization and take us to a very large, well-run, profitable sales organization, my name comes up. Mm-hmm. And that's why I've never been nervous about having a job is because right. I've, I've taken the time to prove it and I've, I've stayed long enough to have those, um, those achievements. Some would say I haven't stayed as long. I mean, what they don't know is when I go take on a new client or even a new job, I usually set very specific goals over a certain period of time. 
And sometimes it's like, I will be here for one year. I will accomplish this and then I will leave. And, but I sure as heck make sure that I don't leave before those things are accomplished. Um, and, and again, that's, I think it's a good way to, to run a career. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to get back to, uh, it's great advice. I wanted to, because I want to start maybe build off that because it came from that uh, article, the post you had posted about the interns. Because uh, you had some, I thought, great advice there, which I think applies to new employees or employees in general. And you start talking with the first one, you talk about <laughs> don't network with flashy people. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially new in a sales career. It's so easy to sort of get seduced by the way certain smooth talkers make it all look so easy. Um, but not a lot of substance oftentimes beneath that. So I always want to advise people on that. Is yeah, you don't need to be like them. I mean, I, I couldn't. No. I when I first started, I yeah, guy in my office, he was like that. He was just like, oh my god, he makes it so easy, look so easy when he talks to a prospect. Da da da. Yeah, I thought I wanted to be like him for about a week, and then I was like, no, that's that's not me. See, I learned it the opposite way. When I, I mean, I look the part. I always tell people, you know, if you really want to know what advice you should take from me, you, you do need to understand my background. But the, this, the short background is everything in my life came very easy to me. Then I started my career and I looked the part. I mean, I was a, you know, a reasonably decent looking human uh, mm-hmm. who came from a, you know, good background and played sports and, you know, was relatively articulate. And so I got offered jobs that I was not even remotely qualified for. And then, <laughs> and then I, I would not get a ton of negative feedback because even when I wasn't doing well, I think they would just think, Oh no, he's just, he's about to hit his stride. Of course. Yeah, he looks the part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just, you know, I was very fortunate to, um, to be given enough time to, to learn how to be really good at certain things. But at the beginning, I was the guy that you should not follow, but people did, you know, <laughs> but, the, but the, the other thing is it's not even just the flashy people, but a lot of times you'll hear young sales managers say, you know, the best thing you can do when you start an org is to go find the number one rep and then learn what they do. And I, I usually tell people that's it's one of the worst things you can do because Depending on the size of the organization, the number one rep typically has a natural talent that they don't even quite understand, and they don't use as much process mm-hmm. in order to achieve that. So right. what I suggest people do is they go ask and they say, I want to know, you know, can I see the sales rankings? And if there's 100 reps, I would pick reps, you know, 75 to 85, 70 to 80. And then I would ask the manager, which one of these people that is doing really well, you know, their top quartile, uh, they're not the best, but their top quartile, which one of these ones started slow, but developed in a really amazing process. And they'll know, they'll say, oh, it's so-and-so, it's the introvert Mm -hmm. over in the corner. Mm -hmm. Go learn what they do. Because if you happen to be naturally gifted at sales, you're going to do well anyway. But if you go and start by learning this amazing process, that if you're not great at sales, you can still be really good. And if you are great at sales, just becomes this crazy force multiplier. You're going to do much better than if you just go listen to the sales calls of the top person, because they won't even be able to tell you what exactly they did on that call. Um, they, they're just, I don't know. They're just kind of naturally good at it. Uh, I, I agree hundred percent on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> Yeah, there are always a strata of people that make it look really easy. 
But I think the thing that – to another point you made in that article, though, too, is you know, that post is that those 75, 80 percent people, they're the ones that became really good at something. Yeah. You know, they became the expert. And they're going to be the ones that I think are more curious, right? You're just talking about the top people. They really don't understand why they're doing what they're doing, why it's happening. They're just not that curious about it oftentimes, too. I want to find the people that are really curious, that really have sort of internalized why they think what they do works. Yeah, I just had lunch with an old colleague. Um, he told me something I never knew. He, he worked for me for many years, and he was definitely my best. Um, but he told me about something that he had done that I never, he, he thought I knew. But I didn't know this tactic he was using. <laughs> I thought, good Lord, if I would have known about this 10 years ago. But he thought I knew. and But he just found this ingenious way uh, to get to, to accelerate how quickly his pipeline was moving. And, um, I don't know. I just didn't feel the need to share it. I guess he shared it with some people and, um, kind of thought I knew, but the, his curiosity, I mean, he was naturally incredibly gifted, but his curiosity and his, his way of finding way, ways around roadblocks were like second to none. And, he and a lot of those, a lot of those uh, ex-employees have gone on to do some pretty phenomenal things um, out of that curiosity and out of that understanding that at some point your talent does have to be backed up by sound strategy and curiosity and context. I think I mentioned in that post as well that context yep. is maybe the most important thing that people lack in their careers. Yep. And as an intern, if you're just, if you just do what's asked of you without learning the context behind it, I think you you might waste four months of your summer. Well, I think as an employee, you have the same obligation. You know, I think that it's funny. I you know I read posts about, uh, yeah, to our point earlier about bad sales advice online is is one article saying or post again on on LinkedIn saying. You know, millennials don't want to know why. They also be told how to do something, right? And it goes through chapter and verse. I'm thinking, well, I couldn't disagree more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, this is really problematic because, you know, I think you have an obligation as, a, as an individual in order to become the best version of yourself to, to demand this context, to push back, yeah. right? I mean, I think that I look at my own career is built on not just saying, okay, anytime somebody gave me advice or a boss gave me a piece of re a recommendation or, you know, go do this. It's like, no, I want to understand why, right? And is it going to fit with the way I do it? Because it's my butt on the line, right? I could follow your advice, but if I fail, I get fired, not you. Yeah, I think people, first of all, people that post things about millennials, when you quiz them, they, they typically don't know that millennials are, they're not 17, 20 years old. <laughs> I think millennials are now like 40. Is it Gen Z or whatever that is what they think? No, I've, I have found millennials to be, um, I, 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 my observation is that generations uh, are, the, 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 the bad parts of the world aren't as bad as they used to be. The good parts are far better than they used to be. Uh, I, I observe the world is only getting better. Um, Bad has almost become neutral and, and good has become great. But I think millennials 
showed themselves to be incredibly curious people. And what, what it was received by, by others was there being a pain in the butt. Right. And I agree. And if you just let people have the context, um, man, you get to take a lot more vacations. I, I just, <laughs> no, I mean, really, it, it, well, but I was going to ask you a question about that is, is cause to me, it's, it's one of the things that's a huge problem in sales today is that we don't give sellers enough autonomy. Yeah. To you know, give them the context, let them make a decision about how's this fit into my process, and make a decision about it. I mean, how how much autonomy do you give your folks? So we we do use playbooks. We use we use sure. them, thematic playbooks that are meant to be the the framework for a best practice uh, in a in a vacuum, right? Mm-hmm. If if you've got no other interesting things to talk about. You can use this playbook, and this play playbook will work. Right. However, I I end most of my leadership meetings and a lot of my skip level meetings with the same thing, which is you've heard this before. Uh, you're going to hear it again until you start believing me. But there is nothing any of you can do to ruin this company. None of you have any button that allows you to discount something so much that it would give away, you know, all, all of our value for nothing. None of you have, there's literally nothing that you could do aside from, I don't know, being a, a, a horrific racist on a phone call and it somehow gets out. But business wise, there's nothing you can do. If you, I want you to, to make your own decisions and, you know, the last day, of the last day of the last month, I actually sent out to the sales team and said, I, "You have autonomy to be flexible, and your director has autonomy." And he messaged me and said, "Well, how much?" And I said, "Well, you you can't you can't find the line until you cross the line." So he sent one back to me where he had waived a bunch of upfront, but he had extended the contract to the point where our contracted value was phenomenal. I'm like, I would take that deal all day long. In fact, <laughs> I might want you to only sell those from now on. But he said, well, so is that within, is that within, you know, limits? And I said, no, you, you haven't crossed the line yet. I said, until, until I laugh at you, you haven't pushed it enough yet. Like, I, I want you to send me a deal that you did that, that I actually call and we laugh about it because it was, <laughs> it was so dumb. Right. But, but it, it's never happened. I, I had a, um, a customer success retention manager years ago who, wonderful, brilliant guy, and he would come and ask me for permission about everything. And I said, you know what? Frankly, I don't have time for this. Here's what I want you to do. You have your matrix. I want you to use it, but then you can go outside of it whenever you want. Every five times you do it, I want you to put it on a whiteboard, wheel the whiteboard in my office. We'll go over and I'll tell you whether you've done something stupid. So we got to the 30th one and there was 29 good, good decisions and one that we kind of laughed about because it contracted us to the customer for like five years and we were pretty much going to break even for five years. And I said, so what did you learn? And luckily he had the right answer was, I learned that I can trust my own decisions. Said, so, yeah, I wasn't trying to teach you what you can, you know, what you can offer a customer. That had nothing to do with it. Right. I just wanted you to understand that you can you can trust your own decisions, and there are guardrails in place. I mean, hopefully you have. I know micromanagement's a bad word, but 
Hopefully you have a leader who micromanages enough where they look at the deals every day and they see whether or not a bad decision was made. And if there is, they can come talk to you. If there's not, then just keep doing what you're doing. But I want them to feel, I want them to feel connected to the, to the prospect. I want them to make smart decisions. I typically give them some numbers that guide that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, geez, I had a really experienced uh, sales director who I felt was being really paralyzed. This is about two years ago. And so all I did was create for him a simple Excel spreadsheet that was like a desktop underwriter. It had four or five fields that he would adjust based on whether he wanted to change some pricing or some deal terms. And it just simply produced a number at the end. And if that number was green, then he knew that that was a good deal. And you know, a week, two weeks later, he stopped using it because it just reminded him that right. the goal was really to make money. Um, if it was in green, it was it was calculating that we were making enough money to provide an exceptional service to our customer. So we're fully aligned. Mm -hmm. And it was green because it would still allow your sales rep to make money. And it would still allow you to make an override. And it would still let the company be profitable. So we have that alignment between client, company, or investors, you know, board, financials, um, the sales rep, and the person who, you know, uh, is compensated based on what the sales rep does. Right. And so with that four-part alignment, you can do whatever you want. I, I really do not care. Except that when you find something that works exceptionally well, you better not keep it to yourself because I mm -hmm. might want to change the playbook altogether. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I think that it illustrates sort of the problem that, that so many sales managers have is, is they want to be so directive and they have to give up control. And yeah, I think back to when I was managing teams and, and, what I want to do is I'd want to, you know, I'd casually walk in and you know, run into a seller or get them on the phone. And I would never give a direction or advice. I would just ask questions. Yeah. And I just wanted them to think, mm -hmm. right? And I want them to make, to your point, I want them to make a decision about what the best way to go forward was. Because then they felt they had agency in the outcome. And when they got a successful result, it was not, oh man, you know, Andy really carried me on that. It's like, no, they did it. Yeah. And they have, I think they have to understand the way even the corporate structure works. So do coaches, team leads, managers, are they supposed to be coaching and developing talent all the time? Of, co of course they are. You know, that is a primary function of what they do, but there does come a time when, um, you know, if you have a big enough organization, you personally cannot, you, you can't, you can't keep up with coaching your people, but you also can barely keep up with, with, with what's going on in the industry or new sales enablement tools. And so I, I tell my people, I, I need, I need you guys to stay curious because there's no way I could stay an expert on every CRM, every, you know, outbound strategy. There's not enough time in the day for me to manage the organization and be, you know, stay the expert on every single new tool that comes out. And so it's super important. Like I, I'll typically delegate people um, 
to, to be experts in certain aspects of, um, you know, maybe the tech stack. Right. So you got the VP of RevOps who he's the conductor that orchestrates everything. And he's, he's also incredibly, uh, fluent in any changes to the CRM world. I mean, he's just a genius, right? but he, he delegates to others, anything regarding, you know, dialing strategies, email cadence, you know, whatever it may be, because we, we all have to understand there's, you cannot, you cannot be effective and try to take everything on yourself. You know, it's no different than a, than a, than a, a football team. I mean, my son, I, I, I never played football. I casually watch football, but I didn't notice until my son played his first season, how many coaches they have, <laughs> but mm-hmm. it makes sense. Sure. It, it makes sense. And, um, so I, I've tried to do a pretty good job of that, making sure I enough, I have enough hands on deck where they can, they can feel empowered to bring to me solutions. And, you know, just on a, on a tactical sales story, I, we were doing a, I think it was a win back strategy, but I grabbed three or four sales reps and I, I try to put in the work myself. I, before right. I ask anyone to do anything, I try to, I really try to take it as far as I can so I can, you know, prove to them that I'm willing to do the work and I'm right. not just dumping an initiative on them. But I, I thought I had this perfect initiative and I rolled it out to three, it was like three or four reps and a month went by and <laughs> three, three had, uh, literally not generated a penny of revenue. And, one, I think he had done like 21 sales or something like that. And I went and talked to him and said, Stephen, what is the difference between you and the others? And they said, he said, oh, um, they followed your plan. And then I just, um, I realized your plan was really dumb and I just did my own. <laughs> and Bravo to him. So we promoted him to manage. Like, you're, yeah, okay. Yeah. So you're, you're manager, you're managing that team. And, and I want nothing to do with this. Except you should you should tell me what you did, but honestly, I, I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna weigh in on what you do until you guys plateau. Then I'll come in and I'll help you be really creative. But yeah, good job not listening to me. If <laughs> he, you know, he proved to us that the the concept worked, but the tactics that I had put out were really stupid. And uh, luckily, he he uh, was was brave enough to not listen. Well, brave and curious enough yeah. to go to go find the way to find the way they thought would work best for him. Yep. I, I, yeah, one of my enduring frustrations in sales and one of the things I'm trying to change, you know, through this podcast and other venues is just, yeah, we need to give people more autonomy to do exactly what that person did. And as a manager, you have to have courage with a small C to let them do that. They, I think that courage, you you have to. There has to be. Quite a bit of trust. Young young managers struggle with this. I certainly struggle with it. You want to prove that you're valuable, so you want to you want to be heavily involved in everything. Um, but once you start to to trust people and then encourage them to be curious listeners mm-hmm. and act like humans, that's usually when things start to go really well. Yep. You know, if people people ask me how do you you know what's the secret to sales. I say, uh, get somebody on a phone who doesn't, you know, use the F word and hang up on you within 30 seconds and then get them to react to you in any way, um, like a human and not a prospect Mm -hmm. and then talk to them like a human and then ask for their money. And then it's really easy. 
And we can, we can script that opening to get him more opportunities to, to get into the human conversation. But, you know, I've had, I've been on many calls where the person's following the playbook and, you know, I have to say, you know, put it on mute real quick or tell them you need a drink of water. And they look at me like I'm crazy. And it's just tell me you need a drink of water. No one ever hangs up on you when you, when you say, Hey, I need a drink of water. So right. he muted him. And I said, Hey, just, just ask them, um, you know what? I think I'm talking a lot, you know, Mr. Jones, do you have enough information uh, already to actually make a decision? He said, why? I said, well, I, I, you're talking like a robot cause you're new. I'm listening like a human because you know, I got nothing. I mean, I've got no skin in this game. I'm just listening. And this person is, they're already ready to purchase. Just, just ask them if they have enough information. They might ask a clarification question. So mm-hmm. you know, gets back on the phone and says, same, you know, ask, says what I asked him to say. And the person said, I think so. I did have one question about this. And the person looked at, you know, the sales rep looked at me like, oh my gosh. And I said, just calm down and answer the question. <laughs> and I said, answer it directly. You know, don't, don't, don't open end a question. You know, right. you know, what's the frequency of this part? Just answer. Yeah. And he did. And the guy said, okay, yeah, I think we're good to go. And the guy looked at me like, what do I do now? And I said, well, you just, <laughs> you skip the rest of the playbook and you take the money. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't always go that way, but, um, when you, when you give, I think when you give a good playbook that at least gives people a really good chance to learn best practices and then you teach them how to listen and communicate like a human being and then you show them that they can be trusted, things usually go pretty well. Um, and if they don't, it's probably because the person just maybe shouldn't be in sales. Well, um, only, well let me ask a question along that line though. Yeah. Is, so I, I'm a fervent believer that you know before we train people to become sellers we need to train them how to be human yeah and it's a part that's missing in almost every company i'm ex- experienced with or seen in training programs i've seen is is we assume that people coming into the workforce these days know how to connect with another human being right because then they don't necessarily it's not a criticism it's just you know haven't been exposed to it or that they understand how to sort of unleash their curiosity and feel comfortable or they understand or they know you know how to how to ask enough questions to make sure they really understand something right because there's so much of the focus on discovery these days as well here's our playbook here are these 10 questions we ask well you're just gathering information you're not understanding a thing right 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 it's how do we how do we then you know teach people the value of understanding and it's like we're just missing this this strata of of education of people that they really need so they have an opportunity to come in and, and succeed in the role let's train the person then train the role I agree. Um, it, I get asked a lot what sales books I read or management books, and I, I don't. Um, I sometimes will read a chapter that's really technically good. Um, but I, I like to read a lot of history books. Um, I like to read a, a lot of conversations that happen between world leaders or whoever it may be, even a good author who can just, you know, like Cormac McCarthy can, mm-hmm. he can he can write an amazing paragraph that really does embody the way humans actually talk to each other. I, I like to do that because I, I feel like it allows me to, to keep my head in a, in a human mind space. But I, but I think we are, 
we're selling people really short in their formal educations on how to communicate. Uh, when I, when I interview somebody, it's, it's going to sound silly, but, uh, I mean, at this point I'm typically doing like, you know, final interviews or whatever, but, um, I, I pretty much have one criteria when I walk in the room and I say, Hey, Andy, you know, I, you know, my name is Mark. What is your name? And the person says, Andy, you know, I say, awesome. Listen, I didn't have a, I didn't have a ton of opportunity to review your resume. Um, but it says here that you're from, you know, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. <laughs> if the, if the, if the person says, actually it was Madison, actually it was Madison, Wisconsin, just definitely. Was it really? Oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> If, if the person says, yeah, I am, um, where, where are you from, Mark? I literally write down like on their resume, hired. Yes. Because the simple fact that they said, I am, and where are you from, mm-hmm. shows me that they have an innate ability, whether they learned it or not, they have an innate ability to have a conversation. And when I say, um, tell me about Milwaukee, and they, they, they tell it in, a, in, in almost a story. Oh, Milwaukee was great. You know, Milwaukee, when you, you know, Mark, when I want you to picture, like, have you been there? Oh, no, I never have. Isn't it just all cheese? Everyone thinks that, but I want you to picture this. When you're walking down Main Street, you know, that person can sell. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I don't care whether they've ever sold anything in their life. This is a, it's a really good reason why I love recruiting out of customer experience. Um, no one does. So you've got thousands of people that aren't being given an opportunity to sell. And all you really need to do though is listen to their calls and see how they are communicating with customers, whether or not they're following the script right. or whether or not when it's appropriate, they're just being a human being. Those that can be a human being, I, I aggressively try to convince them to get into sales yep. because they can be taught. On the, on the other hand, side of the, of, the, of the interview, a good friend of mine, Taylor Rose, if you ask him, his, you know, his trick to to nailing in any interview, he'll just tell you, yeah, just make sure the interviewer talks about eighty percent of the time. If you can get him to talk ninety percent of the time, the job is yours. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone loves to hear themselves talk, and yep. when they say, "Tell me about yourself," and you say, "Oh, I do this," and how about you? And then you just keep you you hold the conversation. They leave and think, "Oh man, that guy was awesome." Yep, he's a great communicator. What they're really thinking is, I got a chance to talk about myself for the last hour, and that made me feel good. But, but it goes back again to just basic human communication, uh, whether it's you know overcoming an objection, or uh, you know understanding the difference between an objection and an interjection. It really comes down to: Do you understand the way human beings think and communicate? And if, and by the way, we all make mistakes. Like we're not sure. perfect at this. I Absolutely. need to be tapped on the shoulder sometimes and have somebody say, Hey Mark, you're, you're not listening to this person. Sure. You must be, you must be stressed right now because your default is to be a great communicator. But right now you're barking orders. You're not really understanding what this person's concerns are. You need to take a step back. And, and I always appoint people, you know, in my org to, to watch, to watch me. If I, if they ever feel that I'm getting stressed out, my default is to bark orders and to, to, you know, hear the words people are saying, but basically just blow right past them. Right. And I will have people send me a chat saying, Hey, you need to, you need to take it, like go get a drink of water. 
And, um, and I come back and I'm, I'm a much better communicator when I do that. It's like that uh, Snickers commercial, right? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Mark, I think you need a Snickers. It's uh, true. Yeah. All right. Well, unfortunately, we run out of time. But, uh, Dang it. Yeah, I'd love to have you come back and do this again. This was great. Um, It'd be fun. We should talk about relationship sales someday, Andy. Oh, well, yeah. Get me started on that. Um, no, you really are. Your post about relationship sales was the, was the best one I had seen in forever. And oh, it was the most you. realistic. Uh, everyone has their opinion on relationship sales, but your post was the only one I had seen that wasn't trying to make some ludicrous blanket statement that applies to every industry and every person. And, and I loved it. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. All right. For that, you're in a second appearance. Uh, cool. Flatter the host. It gets you everything. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> Mark, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn, and I, I always say this, it never works, but if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, if you want to sell me something, my my phone number is on my LinkedIn profile. Uh, cold calling is dead because none of you ever call anybody. I get, I mean, everyone says that, anyways, if you, if you want to sell me your software, go to LinkedIn, find my profile, look at my personal information, my, my phone's there. It's not hard to get a hold of me. If you want my advice, you can call my cell phone. If you, you know, it's, it's uh, not difficult to reach me, but it's funny how uh, how playbooks fall into even reaching me, Andy. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. All right, well, Mark, thank you so much. You got it. Thank you. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Mark A. Smith, for sharing his wisdom with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.